Once again, to the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. It's brought to you each and every time by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our good friend Heather Frari providing us with Root Down by the Beastie Boys on our way in today. And we'll go out to Ode to Joy by Wilco. Now, those are coming out, special edition, this Friday with all the other new music. So, again, if you're in town or around, if you're coming to Michigan State for a tailgate, if you're in Lansing on business, just go south on Washington from 496. You'll find them in the Rio Town Marketplace. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Turning to Iowa and Michigan to start things off. Got some great games this weekend between all of them ranked teams at this point. But for the Hawkeyes and the Wolverines, it's a noon Eastern start. This will be televised on Fox. The betting line has been bouncing around from seven for Michigan down to three and a half now. I think it's gone up and down. It's like watching the stock market right now. Iowa comes in 4 and 0 and they have beaten two of the same teams that Michigan has. Rutgers 30 to nothing, Michigan handled them 52-0. And then Middle Tennessee just last week, the Hawkeyes were 48-3 home winners over MTSU. Michigan of course struggled, but that was the first week of the season. You figure there might be some kinks to work out to Russ to knock off and Wolverines won that game. 40 to 21, despite despite a rough and rugged start there. But Iowa now number 14 in all the land in Ann Arbor to face Michigan on homecoming. They are ranked number 19 overall. We bring in Tom Crawford. And before we do that, let's go to sound from Jim Harbaugh commenting on the play of backup quarterback Joe Milton, who is now the number two behind Shea Patterson. We'll get to the reasons why on the other side of Harbaugh's comments. He's got a got to feel coming out of the game uh, good about himself. We feel good about uh, the way he played. He really had, a, he's had some consecutive good weeks of practice. Uh, had another another good one today. And uh, I thought uh, he played, played really well. The touchdown throw was um, was, was really good. Um, you know, I felt, felt like, uh, you know, it was him and Giles Jackson made an adjustment on the third of the play. And that was not the design of the play the, to uh, have have Giles turn out. And um, you know, some of the, some some people were talking about that you know, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I informed them on my policy of not getting upset about touchdowns. <laughs> applied that policy. And then uh, when you looked at it on the film. Uh, you know, Giles did not break off the route, and Joe threw it to the open area. Joe threw, made made the adjustment, and then Giles adjusted his route to the throw, which uh, which was uh, you know, plus by Joe, plus by plus plus by Giles. So um, I thought that was that was really good. So Milton comes in, mop-up duty a week ago. Tom looks pretty good in doing so. We know that he's highly thought of within the Wolverines program, and 
Shea Patterson acquitted himself well, I think had a, a very solid game, one that he needed before a, a strong opponent like Iowa. But tell us the very latest, Dylan McCaffrey. He didn't play last week. I know you didn't ask Jim Harbaugh about in the press conference, but what sources are telling you? Well, I think that this injury, it sounds to me like uh, it's being reevaluated by multiple doctors. Um, I got a source on that, uh, maybe outside of Ann Arbor. Um, so I, I, I think it's more serious um, than at first anticipated. I think it's beyond a concussion. I don't know. Maybe it is a concussion. Maybe it's just concussion protocol and how, you know, how much of a concussion is it? I mean, there's so many different degrees of concussions. Some concussions can knock people out for half a season. So, I'm really not sure what's going on with that situation, but I think what Jim Harbaugh was so pleased about with Joe Milton that, that he does have quality depth at quarterback because with Shea Patterson, I mean, he's dealing with at least somewhat damaged goods. I mean, we saw what happened, you know, in, in the Middle Tennessee State game. He got hurt, and he wasn't the same uh, the next outing. He struggled against Army. We saw what, you know, he obviously wasn't proficient against Wisconsin. I think there's some lingering aspects of that. And, I, and to be honest with you, Ryan, I think that might have impact on on, on how decision-making in the RPO as far as running the football. You see Ohio State's Justin Fields not hesitating. They don't have any depth of quarterback, Ohio State, but he takes off like a rocket, and he's fast. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what, what? that really stresses a defense when you have a, a quarterback who can run downhill right at you, attack that second level. So I think that's why you're seeing – Maybe some resistance to that run from Shea Patterson. But I think that Jim Harbaugh in that clip that you played, Ryan, is is happy with the Joe Milton um, performance, albeit against Rutgers, because if something happens to, to Shea, I mean, Joe can step in. That's all well and good, Tom, but you got me to thinking with Dylan McCaffrey pre presumably out for this game against Iowa. Milton the number two, and that's not a bad option, but who's the number three on the depth chart right now? Trying to think. Oh, I know who it was, Michael Sessa. They brought in as a backup mop mop up guy. I I, I don't know. I don't know. What's I don't know going if Jim Harbaugh that, knows right now. It's it's Patterson Milton and the big question mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. They, they, but he did see this Sessa guy got, got a little snap there to mop up time. I don't know. That's a good question. And I, God forbid, it gets to that level. I I think I think between the, if you have two good quarterbacks, I think you're in pretty good shape. Um, to be honest with you, that's not the issue. On Saturday, the issue to me, and I've been saying it all week until people get tired of me saying it, Michigan has got to find a way to run the football and try to get 150 yards on the ground. Because I really think to be a good Iowa team, which is considered to be Wisconsin light, if you will, you got to have some form of balance. You just can't just sit back there and try to sling it uh, and beat a, you know, a sound defensive team that Iowa, that Kirk Ferentz puts out every year. And, Tom, along those lines, uh, any update that you can glean or provide? I know teams are real tight-lipped about injuries, but we see Zach Charbonnet, your guy, your pick-to-click, if you will, before the season started. He rattles off back-to-back -back games of 90 and 100 yards in the ground, and then he's really rarely heard from against Wisconsin and then also against Rutgers. Uh, an ankle situation, is that right? Good to go is the word we heard today. So, okay. um, so that's a good sign. Um, and, and, you know, and yet I think Christian Turner might be the, you know, not the bell cow, but I mean, he's going to, you know, he's going to get a lot of care. They need, they need, I mean, good Michigan running teams from 30 years to 40 years always had 
uh, two, sometimes three back rotation. You know, I mean, you, you go back to Howard Huckabee and Stanley Edwards and Roosevelt Smith and blah, blah. The, the, the list goes on. Larry Rick's book, Butch Wolfolk, rotated. Um, it just, you need more than one guy. Uh, this is not Lorenzo White just carrying the ball 56 times for mm -hmm. Michigan. So I really think that, um, I, I, I think they have enough depth at, at running back to, to be productive. And True Wilson is another guy who is just going to grind it, and he's going to give you some carries. He'll give you six or eight carries, and he'll pass pro as, as good as anybody in, in the Big Ten, for that matter. And so, you know, I think they're in pretty good shape health-wise at running back. And the thing is, for Iowa and Michigan, really, Tom, I don't know how good either one of these teams are. The one true test Michigan had at Wisconsin, they failed and they got pummeled 35-14. They go to double overtime against what will be agreeably a solid Army team. They play two of the same opponents in Middle Tennessee and Rutgers. Meanwhile, flip the coin, Iowa, they destroy Miami of Ohio. They might be a little bit better than recent years, but they've been down for a very long time, the Red Hawks. That was a 38-14 win for the Hawkeyes. And then a rivalry game at Iowa State. You can throw the records out, all the cliches, et cetera, and the, and the Cyclones have been a good football program of late. And Iowa finds a way to go in there and win it 18-17. They have a veteran starting quarterback, and Nate Stanley is completing 64% of his passes. He's thrown eight TDs against no interceptions. He has been sacked six times, so perhaps there's daylight there for a Michigan defense to make him uncomfortable. Your thoughts on Stanley, uh, the type of quarterback that he is, the problems he presents for Michigan? Well, Ryan, and Nate Stanley, you got you got a guy there, I think, that Hayden Fry signed a long time ago. I mean, the guy's been there forever. Uh, he's just been, you know, he's one of those grinding-type quarterbacks, a typical Iowa quarterback like C.J. Beathard, who's just going to be productive and will probably end up in the NFL. It's just the way Iowa is. But Iowa, you know, you, you made some good points about their their slate, Ryan, because it's not like they've been a, you know, the, the, the teams that they, the resume is all that impressive. I mean, Iowa State, it took some luck to beat Iowa State in Ames, a game that, you know, stopped and started about four or five different times uh, with that rain. And so really, I mean, I, here, here's what we do with Iowa. We get caught up. It's kind of like Wisconsin. We get caught up. Oh, Kirk Ferentz, he, has, he gets the most out of his players. Tough, big linemen, tough defense. They don't, they don't make mistakes, blah, blah, blah. That, and that, I'm, I'm falling into the same thing. You know Iowa is a very well-coached team, not as talented as Michigan, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how Michigan's offensive line can do Obviously, in running the football, like I indicated, but in also pass protection. Because if, if Shea Patterson has time, boy, he can really get in a rhythm and he can damage that secondary. The thing is, too, and again, you got to consider the competition, but half their schedule's been the same as Michigan. So let's go for it with the running attack of Iowa and a balanced offense. Makai Sargent, Torin Young, Ty Tyler Goodson. Tom, they all have over 200 yards on the season rushing. They're all averaging better than five and a half yards per carry. So deep, balanced in the backfield, they can run it. Michigan's run defense, where do they stand with you right now? Well, I mean, again, you know, against Rutgers, uh, you know, obviously Rutgers is not very good. So it's like we ended every sentence, yeah, it was Rutgers. Yeah, but then so Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, this is another test, and and I'm I'm not I'm not down on you know I mean I think there's some talent there, um, and Quiddy Pay, Carlo Kemp, obviously Aiden Hutchinson, 
Um, I, I, I think they're, you know, I think they're, they're going to be all right. But what I'd like is a deeper rotation and get a Chris Hinton and, and an Amazie Smith, who are these freshmen or redshirt freshmen, come in and get in the rotation. When you see Ohio State dominate teams, both defensively and offensively, and not to get stuck on this Ohio State, you know, obnox, you know, obsession, but I, but I am. Um, they have they rotate as many as eight guys in their front four on defense, and that keeps guys fresh. And Michigan, unfortunately, doesn't have that going for them. And they haven't, and they need to incorporate more depth, in my opinion, so they don't wear down against the physical teams, especially late in the game. Against a team like Iowa, again, a team that you say is well-coached in Kirk Ferentz, but typically plays far better at home than they do on the road. That's why this line really puzzles me, but we'll get to our predictions in just a little bit. How much, in terms of being all the way back, down the track, is Donovan Peoples-Jones, as you've watched him, as you know, Ronnie Bell's kind of taken over as the top and most comfortable receiving target for Shea Patterson. It's almost like He's the security blanket for Patterson. And you know what, Tom? That's exactly what Shea Patterson needs. Yeah, he does need that. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, is you know, he just finally got back in the fold. And, and uh, he was available briefly after the game. And uh, he was pretty giddy about getting back on the field. Um, and, and he is actually a, a good, uh, you know, a good wide blocker, as Bo Schembechler would talk about his wideouts. I mean, he can block uh, better than maybe some of the other wide receivers. And that's a, val- a val- valuable thing. So um, I think he'll, he'll, you know, once he gets back in the groove, he'll be fine. Nico Collins is the guy that's going to be interesting. Uh, he scored the touchdown on the, on the first possession. He's, he's a rangy guy, and he gets open, and as does Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell gets separate. The reason Ronnie Bell gets the ball because he gets separation, um, and he runs really good routes. So between that and obviously Tariq Black, I think they have pretty good depth at wide receiver. Uh, it, they look really good. Against Rutgers now, can be can they be really good against a tougher team uh, secondary wise in the Iowa Hawkeyes? It's interesting too, as we talk about Michigan's receivers, that Iowa almost has the mirror image, and they got the balanced running game to go with it. With Amir Smith Marset, he's got 15 catches for 254 oh, yeah. yards. Yeah. Brandon Smith, 15 catches, 170. They got a home run threat in Tyrone Tracy Jr. He's averaging over 20 yards a catch, and Nico Ragini. So, I mean, this is a, a pretty deep and balanced receiving core for Iowa as well. When you look at their overall talent on offense, depth, balance, quality of players, this is as good of an Iowa team, maybe, Tom, on that side of the ball that we've seen since 2015 when they made it to the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State. You're right. That's a good point. The other thing is, Ryan, whenever Iowa has that fourth or fifth year quarterback, the guy who's been around, you know, you've, you've, you've seen him struggle early on in his career and all of a sudden it, he gets it later on in his career. He's much more pro- pro- proficient. We see it. We saw that with CJ Beathard, as I mentioned before. Um, the, I think he, he's the key guy and, and Michigan has, has got to, to, you know, antagonize him. In other words, I mean, they really have to put some pressure and not let Nate Stanley get, you know, get in a groove, if you will. And I think the key element in that for Michigan is Cam McGrone, who uh, filled in for Josh Ross at, at the Mike linebacker. We saw some we saw some Devin Bush esque speed out of him that has been so needed. Um, and, and he is playing with a lot more confidence. Jim Harbaugh has been talking about him all week. So if he if they, you, they, they Michigan might have to take some chances with some blitzes, um, you know, to just to dishevel Nate Stanley as much as you can, so he didn't get into a groove. 
Tom, you called Iowa, Wisconsin light. So let's go ahead and compare and contrast. The easy answer to the question I'm about to ask is everything. But <laughs> if you had to pick one thing that needed to change the most from Michigan's performance against Wisconsin to what they have to do against Iowa, what would that be? Well, they got to get more than 40 yards of running. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I mean, it's simple. I mean, I hate to be just stuck on a running game, but, you know, hey, call me, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Balance here. I like some level of balance. And this is, I mean, once again, Ohio State, they play, they go to Lincoln, Nebraska, and they carve up 350 yards on the ground. You don't think that's, a, a you know, the ultimate template for a, a walkaway victory? Running the football. I'm one of these guys, you run the football. And then the aerial game will come into play. But it's, you know, some people say, oh, you, you throw the ball to set the run. I don't care what goes first. The bottom line is you have to have, strike some level of balance. And you can't, it can't be lopsided on one side of the coin. Uh, obviously, you, know, you can't throw the ball and beat Iowa and then have, you know, sub 100 yards of rushing. I, I really think Michigan's got to get a minimum of 125, 130 to get a victory, if they get to 150 yards of rushing, and it can be by multiple sources, um, I, I think that they'll win the game. Problem is with Michigan, they do not get chunk plays out of their running game. Mm -hmm. And that's what the good teams you see all over the country do, and Michigan does not. Well, maybe getting Zach Charbonnet back to full strength, as you've reported, Tom, will be the elixir for Michigan's ground game that they need so badly to make things easier for Shea Patterson. I couldn't agree with you more. That's kind of the drivetrain of the engine, if you will. And I believe Michigan's going to have a competent offensive performance. There are a lot of things to build on from that Rutgers game. Despite the opponent, you can call it an open scrimmage, whatever you want to do, but I do believe that the confidence of Shea Patterson was restored in large regard. So let's get to our predictions, and here's the funny part. Picking Michigan State against the spread, I'm terrible. I was 1-4 coming into this week. Tom, on the other hand, picking the Spartans against the spread is 3-2. and two. Flip the script for Michigan. I'm 2-2 two and two on the Wolverines, Tom is one and three. So overall, we're both <laughs> under 500. I'm three and six. It's terrible. Tom's four and five. Uh, the point spread, as I mentioned, has gone down for Michigan. I'm not sure why this is, but they were seven point favorites to open. That's down to three and a half. Is anybody putting smart money on Iowa? What's going on in Vegas here? Tom, your final score prediction and why? Well, real quickly about Vegas and your opening comments about that, Ryan. I think the problem is that the betters can't figure out this Michigan team. Uh, they're struggling with this game because they're they're looking at it in, in two different you know lights. I mean, oh, this could happen or that could happen. Michigan's going to be is really hard to figure out this year, but and that's why I think the up and down aspect of it. But I, you know, it's homecoming. Not that homecoming is a big deal, but they're home. Michigan plays well. They play way better at home than they do on the road, mm -hmm. and they're playing a they're they're playing a good team. They're not playing a great team. And when they play good teams at home, they usually win about 90% of the time. So I think they're going to – this is going to be a tough game. Don't get me wrong. I, for some – I see Iowa missing a field goal on that last possession. Michigan survives 21-20. 21-20. Oh, Tom worried about this game. I think for good reason. This is a very – Solid Hawkeyes team, but again, how much have they been challenged? How good is Iowa State this year? That's a question I don't know the answer to. We know how good Wisconsin is. Michigan got thumped. What does that game tell you? I'm not entirely sure, but I feel a bit more comfortable about this game for the Wolverines than you do, Tom. Easy for me to say. I know, but 
with Michigan being at home, I think that's a big factor for both teams. Iowa doesn't travel as well under Kirk Ferentz as many other teams maybe of that caliber. And you could say the same about Michigan, but they are in Ann Arbor. It is homecoming. I think that matters. I think Shea Patterson's confidence matters, and I think Zach Charbonnet's health matters. I'll take the Wolverines to win and cover that three-and-a-half-point spread, 27-20. So, Tom, you do not – you have Iowa covering. I've got Michigan yeah. covering, so we differ there. I got. I'm winning, but not covering. I just don't. Uh, I. I. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> Hope I'm wrong. Turning our attention briefly now to some big news coming out of California and Governor Gavin Newsom, with whom I probably disagree 99% of the time. But on an HBO special with the King LeBron James, of course, now with the Lakers, he signed into law. Did Gavin Newsom? a pay-to-play kind of structure for college athletes in California that they can use their likeness, image, name, etc., autographs, you can go on down the list to profit in much the same way that U.S. Olympians do. Here is that sound from HBO and Governor Gavin Newsom of California. I don't want to say this is checkmate, but this is a major problem. For the NC2A. You obviously brought the well, bill here with you today. When you put pen to paper right now, what's this going to change and what's it going to do? It's going to initiate dozens of other states to introduce similar legislation, and it's going to change college sports for the better by having now the interests, finally, of the athletes on par with the in- interests of the institutions. Now we're rebalancing that power arrangement. Now, Tom, I got to be honest, I think we're on opposite sides of this one, and maybe it's just procedure (laughs) (laughs) here, but I I have for years, going back to the Fab Five, when I would go into Ann Arbor, that's my hometown, as you know, that's where I was born and around there I was raised, and I would see number four, number five in the window at the M Den for sale for $100 and know that Chris Weber and Jalen Rose were getting zero of that. They're getting scholarships. I get that. But then Ed Martin happened, and we know what went down all after that. Why not have an individual athlete have the ability in America to sell their image or likeness? Again, not paying players, salaries, how you determine that. But if they're able to sign a deal, get an endorsement, uh, have an autograph signing at a local mall or restaurant, why are you against that? Well, first of all, I got to make one comment about the state of California. You talk about freaking arrogance. I mean, who? Do, I mean, they're trying to put in some law, and then the NCA runs runs college athletics, not the state of California. And when it gets to the politician level, I mean, that disturbs me a little bit. So that, there's a little sour grapes, like who the hell you think you are? That's like saying I, I used that illustration the other day uh, about smoking pot. Hey, it's legal to smoke pot in Colorado, but if you run a business. And you work for an employer says, no, you can't smoke pot at work. You can't smoke pot at work. It's their jurisdiction. So I think that needs to be stated. But I'm just thinking, in, in, you know, in, in terms of intercollegiate athletics, it just is hugely problematic when, it, when this happens. It's going to put so many schools out of, out of business, if you know what I mean. I mean, I just, I just, I just see more negative. I see a, a, a locker room that is going to be fragmented because everybody's going to be wondering about, you know, I mean, maybe jealousies and things of that nature. And I, I mean, where, where does title nine come in to this? I mean, I mean, there's a, it's a, it's a complicated thing going on here. I think there's, I think there's probably a compromise out there where you can get some kind of a stipend, but when you, when you have guys cutting their own deals, I think the, the amateurism of, of intercollegiate athletics that we all love 
um, is is going to is going to be severely damaged. Look, you're going to have your chance to go pro. Look in basketball, my God, you go one year, you can go pro. Okay, so well, they're changing football, that. They're you... changing that, Tom. They're going away from one and done. Well, two and done, which I think it should be. You know, no, if it, the one and done, you can go to the NBA right out of school and with a new rule when yep. it comes into play. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, so I mean, so if you don't like the college game, go pro. You know, you think you're that good, go pro. I mean, it's an amateur level of competition. But the NCAA, I'm going to counter this, and I can't believe I'm sticking up for Governor Gavin Newsom, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big libertarian, Tom. I believe in individual rights, in, in, in my right for me to profit off of my likeness, my image. If I'm a college athlete, that could be any sport, and I think you made my point for me. If it's women's basketball, if it's lacrosse, if it's softball, and there's a great college player, there might not be a pro opportunity for that young lady, and maybe she can sign autographs at the local mall for the little girls growing up and worshiping worshiping her in East Lansing as Spartan fans. And that might be their one and only chance, their one shining moment to cash in. And the further point that I'll make, Tom, and I'll give you time for a rebuttal here, is this model has worked for the U.S. Olympic team across the board, whether it's gymnastics or men's or women's soccer or men's basketball. The amateurism of the Olympians involved in most of those sports has not been tainted. They've been allowed to continue to compete as amateurs. Why not the NCAA? And why are they behind the curve on this? Why haven't they done anything? Because they make billions off these kids between men's football and men's basketball. Where, where does that money go? The schools, maybe, I guess. Ultimately. Okay, then. I mean, that's and that's why that's why Eastern Michigan's still in business. You know, I mean, if you want to just have a super league. And just have a bunch of powers, you know, have about 40 or 50 uh, college football powers go at it. And you can you can pay the athletes and it may, you know, it's kind of like, a, a, you know, a minor version of the NFL and go right ahead. But with those, you know, 330 or 350 college basketball teams in D1 and those 130 teams in, in D1 college football FBS and another 125 and an uh, FCS or whatever the number is, um, I, I just think that that's. That's going to ruin what I think is a is a sport that I truly love, and, and it will never be the same. Okay, as you can see, Tom and I don't always agree, and that's okay, too. <laughs> We'd love to hear your comments on this. If you're listening to this podcast, don't forget you can shoot us uh, either a, a message via Twitter, uh, respond to us there. You can follow us at GL Divide. You can also follow on Facebook at that very same handle, at GL Divide. Tom Crawford is on Twitter, at BluebellyTom. I'm on Twitter at Ryan Schuling. That's a Dutch last name. It's weird. I'll spell it for you. S-C-H-U-I-L-I-N-G. Where do you come down on the notion of paying college athletes? And I'm not talking about a salary or a stipend. And then how do you determine what do they make and who gets more? Well, that will come next. That, that, then that's just right around the right around the corner, I Ryan. You, you can know delineate. how that works. I think you can delineate between the two that as an individual, if I'm Miles Bridges and I can go and make money off mine, then Josh Langford, it's up to you to sell yourself. Matt McQuaid, it's up to you to sell yourself. And I, I think we're there anyway. I think the, 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 the hay is in the barn. You could say whatever you want. But at this point in college athletics, the money's being made. And I just don't think the student athletes are seeing enough of it. Again, this is the Great Lakes Divide podcast. It's brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town with Tom Crawford. 
I'm Ryan Schuling. Our thanks to Heather Frari. And we encourage you to visit the Record Lounge whenever you're in Lansing. If you're making a special trip, make a second special trip south on Washington from 496 and downtown Lansing. It's in the Rio Town Marketplace. She's getting new frontage space. Tom's going to have a chance to talk to her very soon as we pay our monthly visit. And you can get anything down memory lane, all the old time greats and classics, rock, soul, funk. R&B, everything that Tom likes, everything that I like, 80s new wave, heavy metal, they've got it across the board. And if Heather doesn't have it, she'll special order it for you. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. So while the number 14 Iowa Hawkeyes travel to Ann Arbor to face the 19th-rated Michigan Wolverines, we turn our attention now to another game between two top 25 teams, and that's 25th-ranked Michigan State going on the road. It's a 7:30 start on ABC against number four, Ohio State. And at this point, having watched the Buckeyes over and over this year, they are a recurring nightmare. They are talented. They have not dropped off at all. If anything, maybe they're better under Ryan Day. Maybe he brought some fresh life approach, uh, new age thinking to the Buckeyes and on offense and everything they've been able to do. They have clobbered people. They have absolutely abused people. They have not scored less than 42 points in a game this season. They beat Florida Atlantic 45-21. They beat Cincinnati, normally good, 42 to nothing. They went into Indiana, a team Michigan State struggled with in East Lansing on homecoming just a week ago. Hoosiers were fodder for the Buckeyes, 51 to 10. Then Miami, Ohio, the poor Red Hawks, 76 to 5 in Columbus. And then I called this one. Ohio State goes into Lincoln to face Nebraska. What's Nebraska? Are they good? Is Scott Frost, is he getting it done? Is he turning the program around? Is he bringing his guys in? Ah, it doesn't matter. 48-7 to as Ohio State puts a woodshed beating on the Cornhuskers on the road. Tom, I, I don't want to exaggerate or overstate this, but I'm trying to think of the last time, even when they won the national championship a few years ago when the college football playoff first started, that we've seen an Ohio State team this good, this deep, this balanced, this big, this physical, this fast. I mean, everything about a football team that you could possibly want. I don't know how they're rated number four. To me, I think they're number one in the land. Oh, I, I agree totally. And Kirk Street talking about his alma mater, said that thing yesterday as well. And I think there's, you know, Paul Fein, Feinbaum several others have been doing the same thing. I agree with them. I mean, Ohio State is an absolute juggernaut right now when you watch them the optics of it they just totally dominate both sides of the ball and you know when you when you think about ryan day when you hear him talk i mean he his whole thing is and i, I might have mentioned this the other day he wants his team to be not the best team the goal is to be the most physical team in the country and when you do that everything else takes care of yourself of, of itself and you you it does take care of itself when you have as much talent on both sides of the ball Justin Fields I never imagined him being this proficient this quickly on this team especially after seeing him in the spring game JK Dobbins is JK Dobbins we've seen that for a couple years now but this master Teague the third the other running back man he just hits the hole so quick and he is just like a holy freight train coming through there that's on offense you got a line that's coming together already, and then on defense, you have Chase Young, who is an absolute dominating player. Might be the first player drafted in the NFL. That is a dominant defense. It's a frightening defense. And I'll make this statement. You're talking about Ohio State teams in the past. Maybe this is a nostalgic thing. I'm hoping that this happens. Fifty years ago, the Ohio State Buckeyes had 
what people thought was a, was uh, the greatest team in college history, and they thought that they should match them up against the Minnesota Vikings, which was a vintage NFL team at that time <laughs> because they were that good. And Sports Illustrated wrote about it, and then Michigan upset Ohio State no, November 22nd, 1969. The same thing I'm hoping happens November 30th of 2019, 50 years later. So, But my point is I'm not setting up Ohio State to get upset here. Maybe I am. But I think they are – I've never – witness or heard this much buzz about how good an Ohio State team is in 50 years since that 69 team. Justin Fields, I couldn't speak more highly of him than you already have, but I'll mention numbers. He's just under 70% in his completion rate. He's already got over a thousand yards passing in five games, 16 touchdowns against no interceptions. He can run the ball just under five yards per carry. So he's a scrambling threat. Oh no, by the way, in addition to Master Teague, a great name, by the way, who averages over six yards a carry. You got J.K. Dobbins, arguably the best running back in the nation, averaging over seven yards a carry. Now, the one thing here, Fields has been sacked nine times for 43 yes. uh, yards yep. lost. So perhaps Michigan State is one team with their defensive front, Tom. If you're going to look for silver linings here, that doesn't get any better than the Spartans front four. Right, and I and I think there has to be some type of risk factor involved as well. I mean, maybe that maybe Michigan State just got to hang it all out there. Maybe run some corner blitzes and 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 try to get some sacks and and get Justin Fields a little uncertain about how productive the day is going to go. I think, but you know, this is what Michigan State is. I mean, Michigan State. I mean, historically, you go back to '98, you obviously 2014, other games that Michigan State has has pulled off that you didn't think they were going to pull off. And, you know, it's kind of set up like this because whenever they're home and they're expected to win, like we talked about the other day, they kind of lay an egg. But then when you think that, you know, they're, you know, you, they're not, they have no chance of winning. And then what are they, 21-point dogs in this game? You know that they're going to play well. They, Mark D'Antonio has that formula to compete with Ohio State, especially down in Columbus when you're not expecting it. Yeah, unfortunately, I was at the game a couple of years ago where they got absolutely train wrecked down there. But if you, <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. You blew my whole theory. No, no, no. <laughs> 2015, though, they go down there with Tyler O'Connor at quarterback yeah. of all things. Connor Cook's hurt and somehow find a way to win. I, I don't think Ohio State's going to overlook Michigan State. So, I mean, that actually, unfortunately, works in the Buckeyes' favor. They respect the Spartan football program. But let's stick with defense for just a moment because that's something, as I look back to a week ago against an Indiana team that I thought they would handle a lot more easily than they did. With a quarterback like Fields, with a running back like Dobbins, I mean, a lot has to change. And here's Mark D'Antonio addressing the defense. And a question he was asked about, was Indiana maybe a good kind of primer for the Buckeyes? The defense uh, gave up, uh, what, four plays over 20 yards. You know, what we needed to do better was adjust some things as I said, I think uh, maybe yesterday or the day before, we needed to adjust a little bit better in terms of from a coaching perspective. And then we also needed to tackle in space a little bit better. Um, and, and basically, probably more importantly than that was leverage the ball better. And some of that was technique. Uh, and some of that was, was IU as well. So give them credit. But the ball came out quick. The ball came out 24 times, I think, in four yards or less in the first three quarters. And we just got to make the play on the on the thing and keep it to a to a minimum game and get off the field. Three times in the red zone, it was third down. We can get off the field. We can get off the field and you know make them kick field goals. So those type of things have to happen. The next one, but I don't think we've lost any confidence. I think we've been a, a tough team to run on. Oh, she's they've they've run for over 200 yards every game, as I said. 
and passed for over 200. Um, so um, it's going to be a challenge as we as we back it up to, to Columbus, Ohio. But um, you know that's part of it. We understand that. And if you again, if you want to be the best, you want to say you're the best defense or one of the best defenses in the country, then you better play well against a, uh, a great offense as well. That's part of it. Speed, speed, and more speed and athleticism for Ohio State. And Michigan State, I mean, they can match punch for punch on defense. The one concern I do have, and we've been talking about this, Tom, you mentioned in our last podcast, is Josiah Scott, the Michigan State secondary, if Fields is going to simply pick them apart. Because if they don't improve, this could get ugly in a hurry and stay that way. Well, yeah, you're going to pick them apart if, if Ohio State starts running the football. Because then those corners are going to be, have to be leery, you know, in, in, in terms of support the run, and they're going to probably get burned. They're going to bite on it, you know, go routes and, and fades and everything else. Uh, so, yeah, and post corners. I, I think that I, I think with, with Ohio State's two-dimensional arsenal, uh, they, they could really, really uh, have their way, if you will, with Michigan State. And when we get to the end of the segment, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how much because uh, despite the fact that Michigan State has played good in Columbus, it's not going to matter on Saturday. I think they're going to get rolled. <laughs> well, you might be right, Tom. You might be right. I think kind of a, a quick interlude question to lighten the mood here because, uh, you know, the, the, the rains are coming and I think Spartan fans are anticipating and fearing the worst as you just forecasted there. But for a Michigan fan, when Michigan State plays Ohio State and it's usually earlier in the season, and you hate both teams a lot. Who do you root for in this game? Oh my God, this is the easiest question you posed at me since I've known you, Ryan. It's obviously you, it's it's go Bucks, you know, O H I O. I mean, really? that's that's a personal thing with me, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because I had to live with Michigan State people such as you and other people. I got a, a, a MSU graduate wife and MSU graduate daughter. I got my whole neighborhood's filled with MSU faculty. Are you kidding me? I got friends at all my high school friends that went to Michigan State. I'm inundated with Sparty. So this is a no-brainer. I don't have to deal with Ohio State people. Ohio State people are trashier, I will say that, but I don't have to encounter them. And that's the main thing. Now, didn't you tell me, I want you to tell this story because I know you and I have talked privately many times, that you, will, you refuse to ever go to Columbus again to attend a Michigan-Ohio State game. Is that right? That's right. I'm I'm four and zero against uh you know as far as four and zero. I mean yeah, like I had a lot to do with it. My my Michigan's won four times for four when I've been in that stadium, but all of those experiences were just very unsettling and um they're not fun. I mean you got to look over your shoulder. You got you have when if you have a Michigan sweatshirt, you'll have fifty five year old women dropping f bombs walking down the street. Oh man, oh yeah. it's unbelievable. It's hey. un. Freaking believe. <laughs> it's funny, Tom, because as I went there, I went there just as a fan uh, two years ago when Ohio State against steamrolled Michigan State, and I was a little worried because I'd heard stories from people like you, like you came back from Nam, and that was what you encountered going down to Columbus, that they're just very unfriendly and very hostile and throwing bags of pee and all this sort of thing. Well, I go into Ohio State bar, I'm wearing my green and white, and, and invariably what I got was, hey, you know, we love you guys. Uh, we yeah, love Mark Antonio. Yeah. You know why? Yeah, absolutely. We hate Michigan. I mean, we always root for you guys against Michigan. That's what I heard. Right. I mean, you know, because you have a you know a joint vested uh, interest in terms of sheer hatred for the University of Michigan, and there's a lot of schools that that hate Michigan. So, um, I, 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 you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I can't quite figure that out. I mean, I mean, you, they, they will, they'll still sing the song. We we don't give a damn for the whole state of Michigan um, after they beat Michigan State. But they just do not uh, – I mean, it's just night and day. They hate Michigan. They 
just hate him. And 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 their 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 fans are about 90, 90 to ninety five percent white trash. Wow. Tom Crawford dropping the gauntlet here, and I love it. I couldn't like it anymore. But well, I'm just I'm just being accurate and being honest. <laughs> That's what we do here at Great Lakes Divide. But I'll say this: it, it truly goes back and down to the enemy of my worst enemy is my friend, and the worst enemy of Ohio State, without question, is Michigan, and the worst enemy, without question, for Michigan State. Tom, you're right. It's Michigan. They share this. Right. Right, right. So, I mean, it's a note. When you ask that question to me, I mean, I, you know, Enrico was, Enrico Beard and I were, you know, he threw that question to me the other day, and I was like, are you kidding me? You know the answer to that. I mean, it's it's Ohio State that uh, that I want to, to win this football game. And I, I guess I want to, I'd love to see Ohio State come into Ann Arbor undefeated and uh, make a, a 1969 be so melodramatic if Michigan did the same thing in Ohio State they did 50 years ago. I like it. Okay. So we'll get to our predictions in just a moment. But we've got some sound for you. Brian Lewerke, not quite Justin Fields' territory, but he has completed nearly 60% of his passes. He's got 10 touchdown throws against just one interception. He looks much more mobile. He's second on the team in rushing. Maybe you didn't guess that. Probably wouldn't have, as he's got 37 carries for 147 yards, averaging four. But the running game's a big question. Michigan State lost some depth through the transfer portal this week when Connor Hayward announced that he was going to transfer. So did linebacker Brandon Boyer-Randall. These were surprises to me. Maybe not to Mark D'Antonio, because at this point, as a head college football coach in 2019, maybe expect the unexpected. But he was asked about that. And then also... Yeah, you'll also hear him say whether he thinks the transfer portal is an easy way out for a player. Here's his response. Well, I don't ever expect any, but, um, you know, I think this is the sign of the times a little bit. So, you know, I'm, I'm always going to take the position that, hey, whatever you think is best for you. If you don't think it's best to be here, then probably it isn't because, you know, you're not all in. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, competition at running back. I don't think there's any question about that, that there's been competition there. Um, but I think at, right at this point in time, um, you know, we have a number one running back. So, but we wish, we wish Connor the best. He's a tremendous young man. Uh, he's a good football player. He brings value to our football program. But uh, it just sort of is what it is. And, and um, you have to deal with it from, from that perspective. And I'm going to deal with it in a positive way. And uh, that's the only way that I can approach things. I don't think it's an easy out. And the fact that because you go into the portal, you still haven't found a place to play. So it becomes a, a little bit more difficult than one might imagine because most co colleges are looking for high school players to fill those voids. You know, my thought is, hey, we bring in new, new players uh, when, when things like this happen. It's not, hey, let's go try and find two more guys from transfer portal, the transfer portal. Now, that may happen. That may not. Remains to be seen. But it's, nothing's easy about college football. There's nothing easy about it. It's, it's challenging, it's competitive. There's a big time management thing that you've got to deal with. You've got all these different things. You've got social media nowadays. You've got all these different things you have to deal with. My message to everybody is, is uh, you've got to do what you've got to do, and we wish you the best. And I always want to try and be supportive, like I said before, and I want to listen and try and communicate our, our situation and be upfront and, and straight up with people. So that's what I've tried to do. And I found that very interesting Tom the way that coach D'Antonio answered that I mean was he going to say he doesn't want to trash a young man on his way out the door he's going to wish him the best but I, I think he put it very well that you know if you don't want to be here then you probably shouldn't be here 
and Arrivederci, baby. But then also about the transfer portal and how this kind of throws things into confusion. I mean, Connor Hayward, Brandon Boyer, Randall, Tom, they've got to find a place to go now. They're they're like homeless in a sense from a college football standpoint. And for Michigan State, D'Antonio makes the point, like we're not looking around right now on our depth chart for transfers to just come on in midseason. So I don't really get it. These kids quitting so soon in a season, maybe so soon in their careers and just giving up on a program that they committed to. Yeah, it's a trend. There's no question about it. And I, it it's a real head scratcher. And, and I agree with Mark Bantonio, and I usually don't agree with anything that comes out of his mouth, but I was totally on bullish on what he said in his response to Fred Human on that question. Um, I, I think right now, if you're a college football coach, maybe it's not as drastic as college basketball. It's almost like you really have an empty canvas every year. I mean, to some degree, because this whole mentality of transferring the grad transfer you just kind of, you know, following spring ball, you got to figure out what you still have and, and, and reinvent. You, it's, a, it's not like you can anticipate, oh, my, 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 uh, my roster is going to look like this a year from now and, 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 and this two years from now, and my, I'm going to get 25 recruits in this year and 20 recruits the next year. You don't know because everything changes. It's just the way of the world in college football. Nobody's happy seemingly, and if they don't play – they're out of there, especially at quarterback, mm-hmm. because in quarterback, you can't change, you know, to another position typically. And so if you're not playing, you're going to be sitting for four to five years and you want an opportunity to play. On that note, are you are you surprised that Rocky Lombardi did not transfer away from Michigan State? You know, that's a really good, that's a good question. Yeah, I am surprised. I thought he might. Um, but m- m- I don't know. I mean, you have to, you know, I admire the guy for hanging in there. I mean, I. I've talked to a lot of coaches uh, over the years, intercollegiate coaches at, at, at different levels from, from, from D1 to D3. And they all say there's nothing good about the transfer. Typic, I mean, sometimes it works, but more often than not, academically, socially, athletically, it's, it's, it's a challenge to have all the pieces pull together. Well, for Michigan State, losing Hayward, despite the fact that he had struggled largely this year, I mean, it really impacts their depth and the, how you spread carries around. Elijah Collins has become kind of that feature back, and that's fine. Ladarius Jefferson, though, could be the next go-to guy, and this might present an open door for him. And here's Mark D'Antonio talking about that. I think that uh, right now, when you look at, um, without talking about game plans and things of that nature, uh, Ladarius is a motivated football player. He played a lot of football for us last year. He should play more football for us now. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a durable back. He's tough. He knows what's going on. He understands um, who we are offensively and those type of things. And he's a, he can be a go-to guy as well. But I'm always going to try and play the hot back. So you get hot, you're playing. Sometimes you need that opportunity a little bit. But um, you get hot, you're going to play. And... And uh, we've got to be productive at that position. I don't think there's any question. You must be productive at that position. Uh, so, and that's sort of a collective thing because you got to block too. You got to have the right, you know, things uh, from a uh, conceptual standpoint going on as well. But um, those guys can all be one to three as you shake it out. Right now, number one is is Elijah Collins. He's sort of proven that fact. Um, but any any one one of those three guys can can be coming, and uh, you know we got a couple guys waiting in the wing beyond that too. So they're not not afraid to play. 
Behind Jefferson, you've got Anthony Williams, who dropped a screen pass last week that was like, oh, that was going to the house. And yeah. the only, oh, other, no only other running back on the roster, Tom, that has at least one carry is Alante Thomas. He's got two carries for one yard. So they're down to three backs, essentially, here with any kind of experience whatsoever. And against a team like Ohio State, I mean, I'm going to mirror your comments from earlier, Michigan versus Iowa. If the Spartans don't have any kind of balance on offense and Lewerke's just a sitting duck with that offensive line, I mean, this is going to, it will literally be a nightmare for Michigan State. No, I think Michigan Michigan State are very similar in their challenges of balance. Um, they, they do seem to rely on the aerial game too much. And Lewerke, hey, he threw the ball very well last week against Indiana, but now you're playing another team in red. It's Ohio State, and we saw what Ohio State did to Indiana down in Bloomington, no less, like 51-10 to 10 or whatever. So um, I, I think if, if Michigan State doesn't get in the 140 to 160 range on the ground, then – and Elijah Collins is a, is a good back. I, I really think he's going to be a nice back if he stays healthy, and we obviously hope he does for Michigan State. But you need more than that. And uh, Ladarius Jefferson, this guy from Muskegon, this kid – who, tr- who played running back for the first time. He was a quarterback in high school. I'm going to ask you, what do you think about his future? I was very high on him. I think he's a versatile guy. He could give you maybe a, one of those side option passes he can throw out of the backfield, uh, do a lot of gadget trick plays. I'd like them to get more imaginative with how they use him, utilize him in the short passing game. I think he could be an effective weapon in that regard. As a straight-ahead runner, not so sure. Like you said, he's a converted quarterback. But again, you, you have these types of guys that uh, often go on to become very valuable players. And I'll just mention one at the pro level that went from quarterback to a slot receiver and became very uh, dangerous. And that was Slash Cordell Stewart from Colorado, yeah. your favorite player from 1994. <laughs> Tom, I had to bring that one up for you. But, yeah, of course uh, you did. Of course you I did. know. But the, kind of that kind of player, I think Collins is your more traditional running back. And, and Williams, too, as a one-two punch. Jefferson's never going to be your conventional running back, but I, I do no, think he's an he can... upright runner. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, when you see him run, he doesn't look like a running back. You, right. know, what I, you know what I mean? He doesn't run like a running back. His pad level is high. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm imagining things, but I just, I would almost put him in the slot more than I yeah. would at run back. Oh, I totally would. An H-back. That's what I'm talking about. Some kind yeah. of just uh, mysterious option on offense almost, uh, like a luchador wrestler or something like that. Um, let's get to our predictions here, Tom, because time is short. Unfortunately, you and I could go on for hours on both these games, I think. But the line opened in Vegas at 17. You mentioned it got as high as 21. It has settled in at 20 for Michigan State. Again, on the road, 7.30 start time, ABC your final score prediction and why? Well, I think, you know, Michigan State won't be able to play the, you know, tennis match and, and match possession for possession, score, score. I think Michigan State's going to score in double digits, uh, but I think Ohio State's going to score a heck of a lot more to the tune of four more touchdowns. I have 45-17 Ohio State over the Spartans. That's interesting because I have Michigan State scoring the exact same number of points. I just have a, a little bit, tiny bit more de- faith in the Michigan State defense to cover this point spread, I think Ohio State doubles up MSU 34-17. So I've got the Spartans okay. covering that 20-point spread. Tom has the Buckeyes doing just that. But again, going down to Columbus against this juggernaut, as Tom puts it, is a difficult task for any team. And we'll see how the Spartans fare. Again, down one running back. Want to close out with some sound from Jawan Howard. And yes, we're talking basketball. The calendar is turned to October 
Basketball's not that far away. I know Spartan fans are excited. Wolverines fans are intrigued with the change from John Beeline, who went on to become the coach of the Cavaliers, to one of their uh, beloved grads, and he truly did graduate from the University of Michigan. That is Jawan Howard, and here is his commentary on that transition and what he learned from John Beeline. So I just, every summer I used to go and visit Coach Beeline. Uh, he would pick my brain on defense, post-defense. Uh, there were times when we would have a session, a work, I call it a career workshop day. You'll we'll have this time, coaching staff out there, and we're going to talk about basketball, developing, skill development, from an offensive standpoint. I've always had a lot of respect for Beeline and his philosophy. There are times when I would ask Eric Spolster to reach out to Coach Beeline and I say, hey, this guy's interesting. He's, he's one of the best basketball minds out there. So now he takes a step and makes a huge jump to the NBA and becomes a Cleveland Cavaliers head coach. Now, I'm sure a lot of people think, like, we have a lot of pressure on you to try to fill those shoes. All I can say is this. I'm not going to try to be like Coach Beeline. He has his philosophy, his way of doing things. Uh, I have my philosophy. I feel that works for our team moving forward. But I do respect the gentleman who is there before So that's Juwan Howard at Big Ten Media Days for Basketball, Tom. Uh, just real quickly, your thoughts on, on him in his first season, and you also wanted to say something about head coach Tom Izzo at Michigan State as well. Well, I, uh, let me do the Izzo thing real quick because I, I, I just marveled. And, and, and albeit Michigan State media did set up these coaches for their, their thoughts about Tom Izzo as a dean of coaches and their relationships with Tom Izzo. But I was, I'm just truly amazed at the admiration from Pat Chambers to Fred Hoiberg, um, uh, Steve Pickle, or Steve Pickle. Uh, Pickle is what Izzo calls him, Steve Pickle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was, it's amazing. The, the admiration is just uniform against, uh, I mean, uh, about Tom Izzo. He, he is truly the dean of coaches, and he's just such a likable guy. So much respect because he's willing to help people. Yeah. When, when Pat Chambers was struggling, Izzo calls him up and say, what can I do to help? You know, in terms of, uh, you know, a shoulder to, you know, to talk, you know, lean on or talk to or figure things out or brainstorm. Um, it's it's really amazing. Uh, we run into this every year, and uh, he's just a, he's an all-around good dude. So enough good things about Izzo. I'll stop there. <laughs> and then your thoughts <laughs> on, on Jawan Howard as he enters his first season. That's a big challenge for him. Okay, yeah. As far as Jawan Howard, you know, I, I go back to what Fred Hoiberg said today about who's got NBA background. That helps when you're around all those great coaches at the highest level. Um, you you learn – you're, you're dealing with the elite as far as uh, – Ideas and strategies of, of coaching the game of basketball, and the impact that uh, that other coaches around Juwan Howard has had on him. I think he's going to do a terrific job. Uh, was I disappointed? Beeline uh, left, absolutely. But I think what what they're going to do now. Saudi Washington has moved to deal with the perimeter guys now at Michigan as the assistant. Juwan's working with the big man, and John Teske. I think you're going to see. Michigan in the blocks, if you will, which they are always leery of doing. Michigan State taunted them to, to go down to Teske in the blocks, and Michigan refused because they just didn't have that part of their offense. Everything was perimeter-oriented. And I think you're going to see a different kind of offensive attack from Juwan Howard. I think it's going to be a good thing. 
We'll be talking much more basketball as the season approaches. That's right, right here on Great Lakes Divide. You get them both. Football, men's basketball should be an exciting season ahead. And, of course, right in the midst of football season, Michigan, their homecoming this Saturday, high noon Eastern time on Fox. The number 14 Iowa Hawkeyes come into town to take on the number 19 Michigan Wolverines. And then a tall task from Michigan State, number 25, on the road, 7.30 Eastern time. ABC will televise it, a night game in Columbus against the number four rated Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll have our recap edition this weekend. You can look forward to that. I know we will. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling, going out to the sounds of Ode to Joy by Wilco. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Our thanks to Heather Frowery and the Record Lounge for providing the music for today's podcast and every podcast that we do here on the Great Lakes Divide. Enjoy the games, everybody. Thank you.